When was the last time you gave, you gave yourself space in between? Hi, I'm Holly Ransom and welcome to Coffee Pods, a podcast devoted to fueling your difference. Here at Coffee Pods, we have a simple hypothesis that in the mere amount of time it takes to share a cup of coffee with someone, we can tap into a lifetime of experience. And that's exactly what we aim to do here at Coffee Pods, to give access to some incredible individuals who've marched to the beat of their own drum and who are willing to share their advice, their highs, their lows, their insights, in order to help give each and every one of us the toolkit and the inspiration to fuel the difference that we're trying to make in our own lives, communities and organisations. Coffee Potters, this week we're heading into the future of storytelling. And if you're anything like me, this is going to blow your mind. Our guest is Karen Palmer. She merges film, storytelling, technology, and neuroscience to create emotionally responsive cognitive film experiences. What does that mean? It means when you watch Karen's film, you wear a virtual reality headset and the film responds to how you react. So if you react to a particular scene with fear versus calm versus aggression, the narrative is going to take a completely different turn. It's a phenomenally interesting application of creativity and neuroscience. And I think you're really going to enjoy Karen's insights onto how technology and storytelling are being applied in new and innovative ways. She's an award-winning international artist and public speaker. Her immersive films have been shown all around the world and have won numerous awards, including the Digital Dozen Breakthrough in Storytelling, uh, which was an acknowledgement for the most innovative approaches to narrative in the worlds of art, entertainment, journalism and marketing. She's also one of the most energising people you could meet. So I think you're really going to enjoy not only her insights around how she applied herself to be able to lead a breakthrough in a completely new industry as a pioneering entrepreneur or creative of sorts, but also the world that she's going to take us in, in terms of where technology is going and where the future of creativity is going to. Enjoy. Karen Palmer, thank you so much for making the time to chat to me. I'm thrilled to have you on Coffee Pods. I'm so excited. I'm sorry I'm making all these weird sounds, but I'm really excited to be here. I'm in love with you. I think what you do is awesome. And honestly, since hearing you talk and and us catching up when you were in Australia, I've told so many people about what you do too, because I think it is such an interesting new frontier of where the world of storytelling and filmmaking and everything is going. Um, and we're going to get into the whole neurofilmmaking and, and how you, you get there. But I want to understand first, what was your passion growing up? Like, how did this whole incredible journey that you're on start? Oh, oh, just start with a small question. <laughs> just <laughs> that minor thing. Um, my passion was st- arts and storytelling and being creative and being mischievous. Okay. I was really good at being naughty and not doing what I was told which has kind of put me in good stead for this career, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And I always had a passion for the arts to the point, but my father, who I adore, I was like, I still want to go to art college. And he's like, well, you better kind of get a job in the shop now because you're just not going to really achieve anything with the arts. And that's just kind of like um, a working class black parent who wants you to be a lawyer or a doctor because they want you to do well they can't see how you're going to make money in the arts it's quite a privileged traditionally quite a privileged type of career mm. but I had this passion so I applied and got into art college anyway and went <laughs> so you have to just do you know and I just wanted to be creative and I wanted to tell stories 
And then what happened is that I started to get into the exciting, sexy side of the music industry and music videos and TV commercials because I felt those were very alluring images and storytelling. And then after doing that for a while, I felt that to be quite superficial. And um, I felt that I was actually using this kind of alchemy to sell things to people mm. and project an identity or an image or message on them. And I was like, you know, if how could I use this powerful form of media to empower the viewer and turn them into a participant and that's when I started on this journey of using storytelling and technology about 15 years ago where I was like you know what I think the future is technology and storytelling because I believed that people wanted to be a part of the experience as opposed to a passive observer of a story and I started working with technologists and I said this is the future. I don't know how this is. I don't know how I'm going to figure out to empower people. I just know at that time we used phrases like interactive and transmedia. Mm. And, you know, I just have to keep on this path. And, yeah, that took me on a really interesting scenic route with loads of interesting cul-de-sacs. But towards this format that I have now where I use technology and storytelling to empower the participant by making them conscious of their subconscious behaviour. I want to ask you about the the interesting journey with lots of cul-de-sacs yeah, because yeah. one of the things I find really interesting about you saying you started this 15 years ago yeah, yeah. is this wasn't on the world's radar. I mean, people <laughs> are waking up to this sort of now and, and its capability and it's becoming a bit more commonplace. Uh-huh. But what's it been like uh-huh. being an innovator at the forefront of a new industry? <laughs> How hard has that been? Wow, so you make that sound so super sexy. Innovator <laughs> at the edge of a new industry. At the time, I'm searching in the dark for this thing, which I don't know exactly what it is, but I believe there's something out there. And, you know, you've got to figure out how you can eat at the same time as following your passion and figuring out a way to create something. You don't know what you're creating. You don't know how you're going to do it, but you just know you've got to do it. And how do you keep the belief? Because that's, a, you know, on a 15-year on a journey where yeah. there's people that are not getting it or maybe doubting you, yeah, yeah, yeah. that must be hard to stay the course. Wow, that's such a good question. I always had a quiet and not-so-quiet resilient focus. But what, can, what really made the difference when you kind of... Because you're moving, like, when you're on 15 years... You're kind of going in spurts. Sometimes you're going so slow you don't even think you're moving. Other times you're going super fast. But what really maintained my momentum, to be super honest, was having the right people around me. Even if they didn't understand what I was doing, they're just not like going, like say maybe an ex-boyfriend or someone going, what are you doing? That's never going to work. You know, you just don't want that in your head every day. <laughs> even if someone's like, what are you doing? That's really weird. It's different from that's never going to work. So it's just making sure that you're constantly like evaluating what you're doing. And it doesn't come down to just your work. It's also the people around you. Mm. Do they share the same path? Okay, no. Do they believe in what you're doing? Not, they don't really understand. But are they being detrimental to your dream? Yes, then they have to go. <laughs> you know, you just need people that's going to go, I don't know what you're doing, but it's really cool. How's it going? Mm. <laughs> and I've had lots of, a whole host of different people in my life in those 15 years. And the, it was really important to make sure I realised now, looking back, that I was able to grow and move a lot quicker with the right people. You have to keep reaffirming what you're doing, even if you're like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing. You have to do, I found I had to keep it alive, yep. whether that's talking to people about it, but it's constantly reaffirming what you're doing 
and um, being committed to what you're doing mm. and recommitting all the time. Like asking yourself, you know, what have I, have I worked on this this week? And um, where am I going with this? And does it make sense? And okay, just leave it for a while. But when you're coming back to it, mm. you know, just being fully committed to what you're doing and being honest and earnest with yourself. If you're not willing to put the time and the vision in, then be happy being complacent with the, maybe the job you don't like or the relationship you don't like. And don't fool yourself, you know? But just like, you know, there's times when I thought I was committed and I really wasn't committed. I was like on autopilot and I had to really just go, okay, are you, you know, are you really committed? Like if you were sitting opposite yourself, you, you're doing, you know, you're working on this for a couple of hours a week. That's not really going to cut it, mm. you know? So I had to really create this program where I would be doing part-time work and the minute I got in I would honestly drop my rucksack by my door and then go straight to my computer and turn the computer on like I am working immediately and I was if I'm doing projects I didn't like like working with other clients or jobs I'd bring my work in my lunch break and the minute I remember distinctly the minute that I clocked out my computer had powered up so I could Mm. then sit down and I've got that whole hour bought my lunch from home so then what I do is I'd be like okay if I'm at this job three hours a week um three days a week I've got three hours in the lunch break an hour on the bus or train going there each day that's a extra day's work it's nine hours it adds up (laughs) it adds up so I was like this is what serious looks like you're finding time where other people don't find time I don't watch television I don't listen to music you know, thing I don't I limit my time on social media mm-hmm. so that I can find another two, three, four, eight hours in the week where other people is just chilling or going out, no going out. You know, I've got to find like three or four extra days a week. I'm gonna do that. That's what comes for me. Yep. To get where I need to go. Other people it might look not so much, or it might look more, maybe I'm not extreme enough, but um Commitment is valuing, looking at the time. What do I spend most of my time doing? I want to ask you about one of the habits I know you've intentionally built, which is around parkour. Oh my God, let's talk about parkour. So this is one of your favourite things. Why is this something you do so regularly? Why is, <laughs> why is this so beneficial? Listen, first of all, parkour for life. I think you need to understand that first of all. So parkour is my, um, there's not a word for it, but it's my spiritual development, okay? So I started doing parkour about 12, 13 years ago. And I was look, I'm, I've always been into fitness and sport and health, but I was looking for something which would enable me to grow. So parkour is an urban inner city sport that originates in France. Um, and it originated about, a bit over about maybe 22 years ago or something. The focus is about moving from point A to B as efficiently as possible. So that could mean jumping over a table or sliding under a bar or kicking off a wall yep. but you're basically moving around the obstacle and we don't see the world as obstacles we see them as challenges to be overcome so everything is about moving efficiently through around somewhere and there's only one rule is that you can't ever stop mm-hmm. <laughs> is that you just got to keep moving so what it does parkour it actually doesn't just develop your physical capabilities it develops your cognitive skills as well for problem solving but what I didn't realise is that it, we reprogrammed our brain neurologically because we learnt to navigate through fear. That was the thing I found really interesting about what you were talking about because um, you talked about parkour when you are on stage in Australia, that it, it forces you to physically move through fear and that that's probably been one of the most beneficial things alongside your entrepreneurial journey because it's 
enabled your body to get used to this notion of risk taking and that feeling of discomfort, not seeing that as a stop, seeing that as a, okay, what's my way I work through this? Yeah. It's something which affects you physically in your body, body like muscle memory, but also it triggers you in your brain. So that what happens is you and I have this sense of identity of who we are. This is who you are. This is what you do. This is where you're going. And then you have this perception of, okay, so maybe um, Holly is not the person that leaps over tables. <laughs> and then what happens is that you start, learn to kind of step over the table, then maybe slide over the table and then learn to leap over the table. You're like, okay, this is, there's a bit, there's a different side to me I haven't explored. So your sense of identity as to who you are starts to shift. And then you become a bit receptive. Okay, so I'm the type of person that can leap over the table. What other type of person am I that I haven't explored? So then you go, okay, let me, how does this actually affect my life? Maybe there's another avenue that you were like, you know what? I didn't think I could do that, explore that other new tangent, but I'm going to have a see and see where that goes. Hearing you talk about it, it, it's actually, there's more of a parallel than I realised with parkour and what you're doing, because the way you describe your fascination and the work you're doing now is sort of allowing storytelling to enable people to get more in touch or explore their subconscious. And that's in a lot of ways what you're talking about parkour facilitating too. I have replicated, my attempt is to replicate the transformational experience that parkour gives you, but through storytelling and technology. Awesome. That's like, I kind of realised that (laughs) when I had to distill down what I was talking about for my TED talk, I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. That's where it comes from. Um, And I knew as a creative person that um, I believe everything I do is an extension of myself. So if I'm trying to create a project about transformation of self, I better damn well transform myself. <laughs> Otherwise, I won't be able to create something authentic. It will mm. be quite fraudulent. So every time I'm trying to do something, create an experience, I have to make sure that I've gone through that experience or that I... Well, no, I've gone through that experience. Like when I created my project about moving through fear, I did it with parkour, but creating that project, it was called Sync Self, digressing slightly, but... What happened is that every day of that project, there was a different challenge. And every day I was like, okay, I've got to move through fear. So that me moving through fear and creating the project, like creating a project with no money and having a deadline to deliver at the Victorian Albert Museum. I had three months and my technologist and I had a parting of ways. And I had three months to kind of create this project, having committed to showing it at the biggest platform of my life. Exactly. And um, I remember someone, how are you going to do that? I said, I don't know, but I'm going to do it. Because I'd be damned that... um, I'm going to miss an opportunity. Yeah, exactly. I'd rather die or die trying. So, and that kind of goes back to the resilience and the parkour, which is this kind of like, the worst thing you can do in parkour, if you have to do a challenge, is not try. So say, I'm not saying like jump off a rooftop, but just a general thing, that if you have like a challenge and you're like, I don't know if I can do it, try. Because from trying, you'll realise, oh, okay, it's not doable, but I was closer than I thought. So now I need to like, use more power or use more flexibility or change my technique but just standing and thinking about something is procrastination and you don't get anywhere Mm. but but at least attempting you're like okay didn't work but you know what i'm going to try like this next time so that's the way i approach everything is like okay can i do it i don't know if i can do it but i'm going to try and then i'm going to learn how to do it okay so i want to talk about the stories that you're telling at the moment (laughs) talk to us first about your philosophy on on storytelling what makes a good story okay so That's so interesting. As a filmmaker, I was taught this traditional storytelling arc of the journey and the conflict of the character Mm -hmm. and the... um, Joseph Campbell style. Yeah. Hero's journey. Hero's journey, right? 
and the kind of returning home and the wise person. That's like those universal themes are associated with mythology as well. And that's when you make classics like the Star Wars and films like that. So those are always going to work. The times we're living in now, there's so many types of stories, right? If it's a story that I'm going to create, I don't call stories stories anymore. I call them experiences because you have to put people in the middle and they have to be a participant. And I want them to not watch a film about uh, the hero's journey, but experience the hero's journey for themselves as part of a sensory storytelling experience. So to me, it's about enabling people to be, and then they can have a sense of transformation. Mm. So that to me is like a new form of storytelling, which um, I don't think, these are th- I've talked about these and I've been on panels about storytelling is now experiences and that they've kind of changed things from immersive storytelling as like buzzwords to like last year they started talking about sensory storytelling so it's about we're how immersive and different ways of being immersed and people on the global landscape are talking about things like the difference between awe and wonder you know they're getting that specific in terms of how they want you to be affected which is different from watching a film Mm. right i'm not saying you can't reach that climax but we're talking about sensory experiences where you're being affected neurologically and often being triggered so to me a good story to answer your question is in that context taking it from the flat linear joseph campbell it's to bring the story alive where you the participant are at the middle and that you have a greater understanding of yourself at the end of it that's my personal sense of um a powerful experience that i've had with people when they've done my experiences and they've they've either started crying or they started laughing, mm. or they went home and came back and brought their friend with them the next day and had to come and talk to me for an hour. Mm. You know, things which people um, have come back and said, you know, I drove home, and then we had to drive back to talk to you about what happened. Yeah, and I read somewhere you said that, that, that you'd started asking people about their experiences afterwards, and that's become one of the most valuable parts of your process. So yes, not just yes, yes. put them in the experience, yes. but actually having a conversation afterwards saying, what did you learn? What did yes. you realise? What are you yeah. going to do differently? All that sort of stuff. So... What happens when you're doing things as a, you said it so romantically, as a pioneer, you create things with this just dream. Oh, God, I hope this happens. And then you're like, shit, not only did this happen, but these other amazing things happen. Because it's not like you can study these things. You're kind of making it up as you go along. You're thinking, if I put this building block with this building block and I'm using neuroscience and parkour and film and facial recognition, artificial intelligence, I wonder if this could work. And then you're like, oh, shit someone's crying <laughs> and then you kind of look at your notes in the computer and you're like my aim is to make somebody conscious of their subconscious behavior like oh my god this works like magic so what i realized is that i had a responsibility because i was basically getting in people's brains and doing like neuroscience on their emotions like sometimes you're triggering people and that i had a responsibility like i was like why are they crying like can you talk to me why are you crying and it's like shit this is really heavy and i'm a talkative person and wherever my work goes, I go in the world because I need to know if this shit is good. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work, I need to know it doesn't work. If it's not connecting, if it doesn't resonate, I need to... And you, sometimes, you don't need to ask people this. If people are like... Oh, and afterwards, if they can't even speak, it's working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, if people are going into and walking out, and th- I feel that's what gave me 
a real advantage that I cared so much because I would go out to these places and I'd see other people set up insulation and then go mm. and I'd be like you left your baby like how do you know if this shit even works like if it's really connected with people so from me really being so vested in my shit I was like it transpired that like I remember when I showed it at Sheffield someone said to me this is such an honour that the artist is here and I'm like oh really like I don't need to talk to you about what you think but it, I realised that it was an important part of my work to communicate with people. And I realised how profoundly they were being affected. And I was like, oh, this is a really big responsibility. And just talk people through the experience. Okay. So why might people have a reaction like that? Okay, so Raya is an emotionally responsive film that watches you as you watch it. So you stand in the middle of an installation environment and you're, surround, you're watching a projection of a film, like a huge television, but it's a projection. And around you is ambisonic sound, which is very close to the human ear. And then you've got the scent of, like, fire, and you've got um, lights around you. And you're in the middle of a set, basically, of what has been a right. You've got debris around you, a dustbin, trash, cones, lots of things, a shoe, lots of things around you. And then you watch this film of being in a riot, and you're confronted by characters like a riot cop, a looter, an anarchist, a civilian being arrested by the police... And your emotions will determine the narrative of the film. So if, because it's watching you, monitoring you through artificial intelligence and facial recognition. So if you respond to the film with anger, the narrative branches in real time in one direction. And if you respond with fear, it branches in another. One of the things I find really interesting about this whole area you're working in is every day, the way that we emotionally respond to life around us shapes the narrative of our own lives. But in the environment you're creating, you're creating a self-awareness around that that's so much more heightened. My objective of Riot is to make you aware of how your emotions affect the narrative of the film is in the exact same way your emotions affect the narrative of your life. So if someone got a reaction and they weren't happy with it, or yes. maybe they became aware for the yes. first time, yes. geez, I respond in fear more often yes, than yes. not. Geez, I get angry really yes, easily. Yeah. Is part of your duty yeah. to say we can change the way that you respond? If you want. So I'll give you a couple of examples. There's a guy who got the, the experience. And if you're angry, you get kind of taken out by the police because you're a threat. And he got angry. And he's like, yep, I hate the police. I'm very happy with that. In fact, I'm more than happy because it confirms how much I hate them. <laughs> right? Another lady, she got fear. Right? She got fear on the first level. There's four levels. I said to her, this was in New York at Armory Arts Week. I said, first of all, was that authentic? Because, you know, it's 80% accurate, which is still bloody high for artificial intelligence, but sometimes it might just not monitor you. It's how you're perceived, which can be different to how you feel inside, right? Which mm -hmm. would be a different measurement. So I said, was that accurate to how you felt? She said, yeah, I felt fear. And then she elaborated on it saying, I felt like when making myself smaller, which is a classic thing if you watch a wildlife program and you see like an animal's under attack, it shrinks because it's trying to protect itself. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, cool. So you felt yourself making yourself smaller. Would you like to have another go? Because now you're conscious of your subconscious behavior. You can consciously rewire it in your brain through practicing the film, watching the film. She said, I want to reprogram my brain, but I don't want another go. I was like, that's really weird. Like you're weird like me. Why do you want to reprogram <laughs> your brain? She said, I'll tell you because I'm never ever going to see you again. I'm in AA and I'm looking at what's triggering my addiction. I was like, wow, that's so deep. Yeah. So, and so significant. Imagine if you could help someone 
rewire in that way. And also interesting because the film is a social justice piece about race, but this isn't to do with race. This is to do with something else. Mm. But the but the mechanics, the neurological mechanics, is the same, right? So I said to her, we talked for like ten minutes, and then she goes, you know what? We're going to have another go. I was like, cool. So she did another go. She got through the first level. She got calm. She got the second level. She got fear. So now she got halfway through. I said, was that authentic? She said, yes. I felt myself pushing past, making myself smaller, but I couldn't maintain it. I said, okay, it's like a muscle. You now you become aware of it. Do you think that you could go out in the real world and when you kind of feel this pressure again, move through that and not make yourself smaller and push through that fear? And she said, yeah, she thought she could. So I gave her a hug and she left. <laughs> so that I love that you're doing that. That is really cool and amazing to think of the ramifications. I wanted to ask you, one of my favourite lines that you said when you were on stage in Australia is, in the, in the age of security, storytelling will be our salvation. Why do you think storytelling is so important in our world right now? Story, the stories you tell yourself determine who you are and the life you live. So if you're like, I can't do that, you won't do that. This is actually something, one of the passions, or other passions apart from parkour, I love like neuroscience and um, psychology, but also something called epigenetics, which is like the study um, of beyond your genes. And they kind of break down scientifically that if you have the feeling in like your second brain, your gut, I can't, I can't. A chemical will go to your brain and confirm the thought. Yeah, you can't. But if you think, you know, I can, I can. A chemical will go to the brain and go, why don't we try it like this? Your, the stories you tell yourself will have a direct implication on your life, right? So you have to be, you basically create the life you live. You're going to do it consciously or by default. Mm. So I'm saying to you, let's do it consciously because you're doing it anyway. If you're saying, I can't get a better guy than that or I can't get a better chick than that, that's what you're left with. If you're saying, you know, I can go to college or I can get that career, that's what you're going to keep going for. So you've got to be conscious of stories you're telling yourself. And then that, then you have the next level of ramifications of the stories that's being told to you, mm. right? So that could be subliminal stories through a music video that you're just receiving every day or through movies where you're like formulating your ideas of relationships based upon these things which are so removed from reality. It's ridiculous. And then so you have these stories that's informing who you are, which... I stopped absorbing these stories because I wanted to kind of construct who I was consciously. Mm. I didn't want to kind of absorb cultural influences about who I am or who I should be or what I should wear or what I shouldn't wear. Um, what's the latest trend? Who's the la- what's the latest things that people are even talking about? Yep. You know, working class people do the lottery. Rich people don't do the lottery. Do you know what I mean? So you're overhearing lots of people talking about lottery when they could be talking about shares. Mm. You know, what are rich people talking about when they're not watching X Factor? Do you know what I mean? These are conversations which is a little bit more from an economic position, more constructive to be having, as opposed to falling into the default of, I'm putting the TV on, so I'm going to have a certain set of conversations about the programmes, about the characters in the programmes, which I know more about than my friends. You know what I'm saying? So you have to be very selective about the stories you tell yourself, one, and the stories which are coming at you um, subconsciously too. And then the final set of stories is the stories that is directly coming at you, which I 
beg people to have a discerning eye for. And by that, I mean through the media. Um, and that you're going to get through your social media. Because much of these, these are stories and are often, in my opinion, propaganda. And, you know, somebody somewhere is deciding this is the criteria for what you're going to read as front page news today. For whatever reason that is. But maybe you want to kind of discerningly select the news that you are reading that day. And you're not going to default put on something that's going to shape your mind and your thoughts. So the stories you tell yourself, the stories you receive um, subconsciously, and the stories which you have your full attention are shaping us and our world. And I think it's important to almost break all those templates and consciously construct the world that you want to live in. I love that intentionality. When it comes to your own story, what bits of advice have you taken on board and really allowed to impact your life for the better? Like what have you chosen to absorb or grab onto from mentors or external influences? I would honestly say that each person should find their own personal truth because you know deep inside you what works for you, right? So say with parkour, I use parkour to build a new belief system. So I would say that I equate, I did a project called Sync Self. I'm going to get into your point, I'm just getting like a scenic yeah. way to it. And it was about if you were a mobile device, Holly Ransom was a mobile device, what, and you look at the operating system as a belief system, what belief system are you running? Are you running Holly Ransom 2018? Um, 2000, 2018 or are you like living in the past a little bit like probably 2017 something you got a bit stuck on something something really irritated you and you can't move past it mm. yeah uh, you know are you kind of stuck in fear from 2015 something that kind of traumatized you or are you like up to date like you wake up like yeah new day new belief I can do this I can do this I can do this so what I do is that I trust able to use parkour as a way to build a new belief system for myself, being able to learn to understand myself, to navigate through fear. So I'll give you two examples of that. On the lack of training physical example is we don't learn to understand the value of fear. So when something happens to you, like, oh, I'm scared, and you kind of want to react to that fight or flight, right? But with parkour, you learn to become comfortable with fear so that you can learn how to move through it. So I learned to understand my response with fear is I get paralyzed. My legs can't move. They turn to jelly. And that if I can breathe through that and visualize and have the intention, I can move through that. So that when I have a meeting that's nothing to do with parkour and I feel nervous, I, my, I will go into the, my, have neurologically programmed myself and I'll focus on breathing and I'll focus on my intention. And then I'll be able to take that um, methodology of moving through fear and get to my designated destination. Great. And I did that, um, an example, another example of that is when I had this amazing career in the music industry and I loved it. I was like really glamorous, had my BMW convertible and my friends were like working for MTV and we'd go to like Puff Daddy parties in Barcelona, MTV parties. And the whole thing was like so fucking superficial. You know, it got to the point of like, what am I doing? How many parties can you go to? And I was like, you know, I need to like live my dream, you know? I don't know how I'm gonna, how I'm gonna escape these trappings of this amazing glamorous life, but I had to get out, like save myself. Like, Karen, wake up, get out of this. There's more to you than this. And um, I was doing parkour then. I was searching for a way to change my belief system. And I was getting into like hardcore into health and raw food and juicing and detox and retreats and meditation. 
and um, parkour. And all these things came together. And I remember that I gave him my notice for my job in the office. And I gave him, and I remember when I went to give my notice in the letter that I saw it as, as a parkour jump. And it was this really long jump that was like over something, this huge like Grand Canyon that if I fell, I would die. And I had to make this real long jump. And the minute I gave my notice and I realised that, oh, that was actually just a step. <laughs> it wasn't like, a sh- it's still a huge drop. I could still die if I can't pay my rent, whatever. I probably won't die. But it's almost impossible to fall mm. if I believe. And what happened after that, to kind of give you the kind of gems of advice, is I had to sell the car. BMW service is really expensive, particularly when you haven't got a high-flying job. I had to, um, I couldn't buy any more designer clothes for maybe eight years (laughs) I had to buy a bike um and I still cycle I love cycling and I had to move from buying like I don't know if it's in America like Whole Foods to the cheapest store at the corner but it was so worthwhile to kind of start again Mm. and go who am I what do I want where am I going and why am I doing this you know this is worthwhile now Having, like, no money, not having nice food, not having a nice car, no nice clothes. This is worthwhile now because I know where I'm going. But all those nice trappings and food and car and everything was going nowhere. So Mm. it wasn't worthwhile. So I would just say to people, you have to kind of honour yourself and find your own truth. And... You only you can do that. Two more questions because I want to get you to your birthday dinner. (laughs) Are you a techno optimist when you look at the state of the world and some of what's going on? And and you touched on this in your presentation in Australia the way that artificial intelligence is being used in China regarding social security and credit and that you name it. Um, and yet you talk about the entire new realms of possibility that you're un- you're tapping into in your work. Yeah, okay. Where do you sit on the pessimism, optimism? Oh, I'm a million trillion percent optimistic. Technology is not a thing which is just like here and appears. It's up to us, the people, to be conscious of what we're creating. And I, I've been doing talks recently about how we need to be conscious creators. Someone asked me to do a talk um, in Germany. And I said, what's the, talk, what's the conference about? And they said consciousness in machines i said i'm fed up with this consciousness in machines crap to me we need to be talking about consciousness in people okay. you know because of machines we're coding them we're coding them they're yeah. going to be conscious if we code it or not but what what are we coding and why are we coding we need to be conscious of what we're creating can we just go back a step and they were like can you be the keynote speaker like nobody's talking like this i'm like Agreed. so what are people talking like then what are they just making things without thinking about why and back to the thought works people just because you can doesn't mean you should mm. you know so it's like this i'm super there's good, there's good and bad people but there's not good and bad technology there's good and bad technology that's been created by good and bad people so let me give you an example i saw a video of the people at facebook um who made or they were one of these app called it could be iphone i think it was facebook though where they were kind of building notifications for their app and they kind of made a decision that oh when you get notified it's going to come out of the app and you'll be notified on the phone interrupt like me and you having a conversation and that you're going to get notified that's going to take precedence that it's going to attack the very fabric of humanity And, you know, these people have big neurological departments. They knew exactly what they were doing and they were knowing why they were going to do it. And this guy said, I messed up. I I don't have these apps and I ban them from my kids. This is the guy who created it at Facebook, said I wouldn't let my kids touch it. And it's like, you know, you're a bit of, of, you know, excuse me, a bit of a fucker because you knew, it's not like now you realise 
you uh, no you did disrespect. it in full knowledge at I'm that point I'm pretty sure time. you did you had these conversations in your offices and you were like you know what let's do it anyway you knew what you were doing and that's why consciousness is a funny thing of being aware you know that I'm saying you couldn't be that unaware maybe you didn't know the full ramifications so you'd made that decision there's other people who were like, you know what, I'm not going to do that or I'm going to do that because mm. of this. And I'm saying to people, let's wake up. Let's kind of ask ourselves these questions as opposed to just making them for this advantage of business. Mm. I love leaving listeners with uh, a call to action, you know, oh. to get them to, to take all the inspiration, the ideas, the energy that you've given them and go out and do something. What would you like to encourage people who've listened to everything you've shared today to go out there and do? Listen to their thoughts and develop their own personal inner voice. It's easy to go and do something, but what, where are you moving from? I want you to be conscious of what it is you're doing and why you're going to do it. And any advice as to how to take a first step in doing that? Because for some people, that's a pretty overwhelming, geez, where do I begin? The minute, like, turn this off now. Like, don't even hear the end. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like just turn all electronic media off and just give yourself some quiet time. When was the last time you listened to your thoughts? I try to practice that really regularly because I love my thoughts. When was the last time you gave, you gave yourself space in between? Like, so if I'm working, um, I kind of really enjoy now um, eating at home if I work at home and washing up at home because there's things when you wash up or have a shower where thoughts come to you because you've given yourself that space. So you have to be aware of the things that you've created in your world consciously and subconsciously and why it's like that. Are you happy with that world? Great. Switch this off and just watch Netflix and chill. <laughs> but if you think, you know what, there's something else, there's something else, you know, figure out what the hell that something else is and just do it. And don't think about, oh, don't give yourself a reason why it won't work, which is the next thing of why, why would I do that? How would I do that? I can't do that. Don't even do that. Just pursue it. Just move towards that objective or discovering that objective one step at a time. Every day I wake up, I have a challenge and I don't know how I'm going to do it. And that's the beauty of living. You know, like I have, I'm on this exciting journey with my career and I'm independent and I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I know it's going to work out. So I just have the belief. I don't know. And I just also wake up and tell myself what life, what life changing thing is going to happen to me today. Every day I wake up. And sometimes I'm on a roll, I say, what's life-changing things going to happen to me this morning? And then I say, what life-changing things going to happen to me this afternoon? And when I talk these things, amazing shit proper happens, you know, like you believe it. So I just would urge people to find themselves. That's the beginning of an amazing journey called life. What a great note to end on. Karen Palmer, you are a force to be reckoned with. I'm so grateful for the fact that you are unleashing yourself on the world in, in bigger and bigger ways every year. And I can't wait to see what happens with, uh, with Riot and everything you're creating in this neurofilmmaking space. It's so exciting. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired and have some practical ideas for how you can go and fuel the difference you want to see in your life, organisation or community. If that's a yes, please take a moment to send us feedback Shoot me a tweet at Holly Ransom, leave a review for this coffee pod or head to www.coffeepodswithholly.com and send in your questions and suggestions for future coffee pods. But for now, until our next coffee break, I've been Holly Ransom. Thanks for fueling your difference with me.